the last two weeks in conjunction with Thanksgiving, the holiday of Thanksgiving, which we have experienced in the last week, um, we explored the themes of generosity and then gratitude. Uh, generosity the first week and then gratitude the day before Thanksgiving and the encouragement which uh, most of us took up was uh, for each of those weeks to practice those developing those qualities of generosity, gratitude. I gave a number of practices and uh, uh, almost everyone, at least at the end of the morning, raised the hand and said, yes, I want to practice for the next week to cultivate generosity, to see how to develop that. And, and, and I, did, I did that as well. And so I would, in the mornings, remember generosity. And I think, it, for, for me, it particularly manifested when I was driving. <laughs> uh, the remembrance of generosity would surface when an ungenerous thought would occur. <laughs> and so... Uh, we've come from that period of looking at generosity and gratitude. And I want to just uh, name those qualities uh, briefly uh, because it'll set the context for what we'll explore uh, further today. So, wonderful this quotation from the, from the uh, uh, teachings of the Buddha on the nature of generosity and on the nature of uh, uh, highly developed generosity. These five are the gifts of a person of integrity. Which five? A person of integrity gives a gift with a sense of conviction. A person of integrity gives a gift attentively. A person of integrity gives a gift in season, meaning with good timing. A person of integrity gives a gift with an empathic heart, a sense of connection and, I think, kindness. A person of integrity gives a gift without adversely affecting himself or others. Interesting. Interesting addition there. And the uh, sense of uh, the most genuine type of generosity, it, it's sometimes said it is an adornment or an ornament of our being. It counters greed and it the motivation, really forgiving, should be to adorn our minds, it's said in the text. To be an ornament of an awakened attitude. Interesting, right? Interesting. And so that, that can be a practice. Again, very much looking at what is the motivation. And the especially the quality of generosity directly counters the holding or the tightness or the grasping or the greed. And then we also looked at gratitude. And the, again, there was an interesting link in the teachings on gratitude between uh, having received kindness and being grateful. That, that in the traditional teachings uh, by the Buddha, that is an especially important connection. I have received kindness. And we can think of that typically from people. But as we explored uh, last time, we could also have gratitude for the earth, for beauty. Uh, last time I gave uh, a reading from the uh, 
current understanding of the Big Bang. Remember that? And just the contemplation of we would not be here without this incredible process that apparently has occurred. You know, that took, you know, um, something happened and matter and antimatter, which had formerly been in equilibrium, were knocked out of equilibrium. They collided, light was formed, and as it were, the show was on. <laughs> and, and, and to contemplate that, can evoke a sense of gratitude. So we, we, we looked at that. We looked at the different sources of gratitude. People in our lives, maybe the teachings, our practice, certainly the earth, beauty, uh, maybe the, the fact of human evolution towards greater uh, wisdom, both personally and collectively, greater wisdom and uh, greater justice as... Uh, Human possibilities, you know, like like uh, Martin Luther King used to say, quoting I think quoting the British philosopher Carlyle. Remember, he used to say very often, "The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice." And one can have gratitude for being part of an evolutionary process that seems to have goodness worked into it. Quite quite amazing. And so, around Thanksgiving, there may have been generosity, gratitude. But I also reflected that there may have been something else, perhaps in the meal, perhaps some craving, greed, and grasping. Maybe not with this group, but... (laughs) Might have been in the society, and there might have been some qualities also of you know those those good desserts at the kind of collective family gathering I went to, we had choices of three kinds of pies, and most everyone took some of all of them. Right, and so I'm I'm partly uh, being humorous here, but I thought that it actually uh, can be very helpful. And this is my theme today: is to look at the nature of uh, craving, greed, and grasping. And my, uh, my encouragement will be that we again take this theme as something to explore in the next week. And there's something, I think, very uh, helpful, and it really is how one way I think we learn is where we take a given theme, like for the last two weeks they were beautiful qualities like generosity and gratitude, and we look to cultivate them. And of course, in doing so, we don't just experience generosity and gratitude, we experience when there's a block to those qualities. And uh, for this next week, I'd like to encourage us to explore that quality of wanting or grasping or craving. When it comes up, and what I'll do in the talk is to explore first the nature of craving and greed and grasping, its importance in uh, both traditional teachings and in our contemporary practice, and then suggest a number of ways to practice, very concrete ways to practice. And it it can be uh, a very, very fascinating practice. You know, I talked to you, I think maybe two times ago, I gave some of the information from the uh, class that Diana Winston and I taught quite a number of years ago, I think it was 2001, the class we taught called uh, Greed Management. 
you know, for which we had, you know, very few people signed up, but, <laughs> but we nonetheless went ahead, went ahead and taught greed management for five weeks and learned, learned a lot. So I'll, 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 I'll come back and refer to that class because we learned a lot about the nature of greed. And I mentioned we had our, our final exam in going and doing silent walking meditation in the newly opened Bed Bath & Beyond in El Cerrito. <laughs> And just observing what went on, and I'll, I'll tell some stories from that experience. So, so actually observing greed and grasping and craving can actually be very humorous at, at times. It's not a, a grim thing like, I will, I will just look at my bad habits of craving. But it actually can be humorous. There is some humor to our, our grasping and greed when you look at it. I mean, a lot of comedy is, uses that for its topic. <laughs> So, so that's my that's my intention, and so uh, a reminder that actually continuing to look at and develop generosity and gratitude is very appropriate because there's a way in which we can understand the core of our practice as both looking at and identifying what we might call negative tendencies or habits, habitual processes that are connected ultimately with suffering. And, and of course the teaching is that craving and greed and grasping aren't just humorous, but they're actually connected with suffering. That's the core teaching. And, but, and so we want to look, and this is the nature of our practice, and just when we watch our own minds, we both look at the uh, difficult qualities, or we look at suffering, or we look at contraction, or we look at where the mind is stuck, and so forth. And that's part of our practice. And then we complement that by developing beautiful qualities. And that's really an overview of what our practice is. We both look at uh, what's difficult, where we're stuck, uh, where we have habitual tendencies, wherever they came from, you know, from personal history, family, the culture whatever. And we look at those, and then we also cultivate beautiful qualities, and, that, and both of those aspects are right there in our mindfulness practice. When we sit in meditation, uh, typically we're not just single-handedly developing mindfulness, but we're actually developing the beautiful qualities of mindfulness, and naturally as we stay with our own minds and hearts and bodies, and explore sometimes difficulties, compassion arises, so we're developing mindfulness, compassion, wisdom, but we're also at times going into what's difficult and being willing to do that. That really is the essence of our practice. So again, here we can think of this uh, process here as involving the looking at the uh, qualities of craving, the related qualities of craving, greed, and grasping on the one hand, but also continuing to develop the beautiful qualities that help us to work through uh, craving, greed, and grasping. You know, and the, the awakened qualities would be continuing with generosity and gratitude, mindfulness, also acting ethically. I'm not going to talk so much about that, but acting ethically is often a way to uh, counter the negative tendencies. In this case, for example, um, really being careful with our tendencies 
uh, to harm others or to harm ourselves, being careful with taking that which is not given, that second ethical precept is directly a counter to greed. And so the ethical precepts are very helpful support, really. What this points to is that our transformation of places we're stuck, of, of craving, greed, and so forth, is um, really happens with a uh, very wide curriculum. You know, it involves how we act, what we do with our minds, the positive qualities we develop, and so forth. I think that's helpful to see. In other words, uh, we could say that all the factors of the path of awakening are interrelated and necessary, not just mindfulness. One of the limitations of some of the contemporary ways that mindfulness is entering the culture is that it actually is not always connected with ethics or wisdom, to put it briefly. So a question for you. What for you, just reflect on your own for a moment, and then I'll ask for you know, one or two word responses. What for you blocks generosity or gratitude? What gets in the way? Anyone want to respond? Just a, you can, don't have to raise your hand, just to speak up and I'll, I'll repeat them. Fear. Fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone said fear. <laughs> what? Distraction. Distraction. Feeling that you don't have enough. Feeling one doesn't have enough. Yeah, great. Insecurity. Insecurity. Selfishness. Yeah. Selfishness, yeah. Anything else not, not yet named? Expectation. Maybe expectation, right? Ingrained family patterns. Yeah, ingrained family patterns, habits that have been there for a long time. Personal psychology. Personal psychology, right, yeah. Just, again, particularly aspects of the personal psychology and habits, conditioning, and so forth. So that's a pretty good starting point, right? And, and well, I think we'll, we'll explore uh, most of those as, as, we, as we look at craving and greed and grasping. Um, the, the traditional response to what blocks generosity and gratitude would typically be to identify the three so-called poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. All of those get in the way. And those are really, uh, you know, that's a, those are cover categories for, for a lot of what's been mentioned. And what I'll, what I'll be exploring today particularly, I think I'm going to look at this theme in two weeks. And today I'll, I'll particularly look to answer uh, two questions. Uh, what, does, what does greed, what does craving, what does grasping, what do they look like? What are, how are they experienced? What's their nature? What comes with them? What kind of sequences lead to those qualities? And then how do we practice with them? So those are really those two questions. And originally I was going to add a third question that uh, which would go a little bit deeper and look at what are some of the deeper roots of greed and craving and grasping. And I'm going to bring that in a little bit now, but I'll probably, probably we'll look at that more next time. So I'm thinking of a two, part, two parts, which will be our, th- our completion of our Thanksgiving special four weeks. Gener- generosity, gratitude, and their 
opposites <laughs> in many ways. Okay. So first, how, how do we explore, how do we understand uh, these qualities? And I've separated out craving and greed and grasping um, and, and talking about those distinctly. And there, there are a number of traditional teachings, as most of you know, where these are talked about very, very directly. So we know that the teaching of the Four Noble Truths uh, is a teaching about uh, suffering, uh, understood especially as reactivity in relationship to the present moment. You, you know, I've often emphasized that distinction between pain the presence of the unpleasant, and suffering, which is the reactivity because of the unpleasant, and also reactivity that grabs at the pleasant, right? And I've talked about that, so I've make, make that distinction, which is not always made, between pain and suffering. I think very crucial, because if the aim is to transform suffering, it's not to get rid of the unpleasant. The unpleasant will is part of life, right? It's, uh, that may be an unpleasant message. But, <laughs> uh, but it, that's part of life. So suffering's understood as that reactivity, the resistance to the present moment in a way. And so very crucial distinction. So one can have difficult things happen and not necessarily be suffering in that sense. Right? Very, very crucial. Because otherwise the idea to me of transforming and overcoming suffering doesn't make sense. We want to overcome that reactivity, and that includes being with the unpleasant. And so the first noble truth is the truth that there is that suffering. The second noble truth is that the cause of suffering is craving. And it's under the, the word in the Pali text is tanha, which, which has to do with uh, uh, literally with a kind of thirst often is translated as a thirst. And I think the sense that I have of this is that there's a kind of compulsive wanting. You know? And part of the exploration that we'll do is to examine our experience and see where is there something like craving as a kind of compulsive wanting? How is that different from simply wanting? Like, I want, I'm thirsty, I want some water. Right? which may not be at the level of that compulsive quality. That may not be, it may not be a problem to be thirsty and want water, but where, what's the Buddha getting at here? And we have a lot of difficulties with the translations because often craving is translated as wanting or desire, which in themselves are, seem sometimes re relatively neutral. There's actually another word in the Pali language, uh, chanda, which is actually very explicitly neutral and that can be the, sometimes translated as aspiration or intention. And that can be, for example, the wanting to meditate. And that's not at all seen as a problem. <laughs> of course, one can grasp onto meditation, right? Anyone ever done that? No, I did. <laughs> you know, you can, you can grasp after, your, you know, in one's self-image. I can be a meditator. Uh, you know, I can talk about meditation all the time. I want, really want people to see I'm a meditator. You know, I can wear meditative clothes. <laughs> Which I probably am not wearing at the present time. <laughs> but you know, I'm saying you can wear, you know, dress in white or something. All white. 
some people's interpretations, and so forth. So, the, uh, so in the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, craving is right there. It's actually the core of suffering. The r- basic root of suffering is a kind of craving. And then the third noble truth is that there can essentially be a freedom from craving or a freedom from being driven in a compulsive way to want. And that, and that is, in a sense, taken as our birthright. That quality of freedom is the aim of all of our practice. To be able to be in a situation and not be stuck, not be bound, not be compulsively driven. Right? And then the fourth noble truth is the eight, noble eightfold path. It's the practical pathway to work through craving and develop freedom. Right? So, and so craving is right there. There's another teaching which is a little more developed version of this teaching about craving, which actually can be very helpful for us. And I'll mention it in some detail because it can really guide our practice. And this is the teaching of dependent origination or paticca samuppada. And I've given uh, fairly lengthy, I've given the series of talks on that. So it's in the Dharma Seed archive. You know, I don't know how many I gave, five or six talks on dependent origination. And this is the understanding of the links that essentially cause suffering. And particularly valuable for our purposes, for our practice, is part of the, the part of the 12 links that are, is actually a very simple model that can guide our practice goes like this. And this is really where we can see that craving occurs. That the link, there's a, the, essentially there, there are three series of links with this model. The first series basically are about what we bring to experience and part of that is ignorance which could be personal psychology, family conditioning, social conditioning, spiritual ignorance, all sorts of things. That's there and we bring a certain, we bring certain things to experience. We also bring human senses and understanding, mind and so forth. And that's the first part. And the third part is, is the consequences of our actions. And the model particularly points to how uh, basically grasping will lead to suffering. The second part is a series of, how would it be, four, four links. And these are, these are what are really crucial for our practice. And the, the four links are contact with a sense object, feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, uh, wanting or craving, and then grasping. And that sequence is very, very crucial. It's like, uh, uh, and working with those categories can be very helpful. So contact is, is neutral. It's simply like uh, I'm walking down the street and I uh, go by a store where I often shop and I notice, and I notice an object, let's say a, a jacket, okay? The next step is feeling tone. I notice extremely pleasant feeling tone connected with this jacket. Very pleasant. I, you know, I maybe have pleasant thoughts. I, I can maybe have an image of myself wearing the jacket. You know, it's very, very pleasant. That's feeling tone. It could be otherwise. We could, I could walk by and it could be neutral. I just walk by my, my 
site notices the jacket, but I go to something else where I don't go anywhere. It could be neutral. It could also be unpleasant, right? We, we know that teaching, right? That the teaching is that every moment of experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And so let's, let's suppose that it's pleasant because we're looking at craving. So the jacket, oh, beautiful jacket. You know, and my present jacket of that weight is, it's worn. <laughs> I should give it to goodwill. And then I find, um, after the feeling tone, pleasant, I start noticing wanting developing. And I start, now and again, we want, we want, to, we want to be sensitive to what's craving and what's just, you know, functional getting a jacket because I need it. <laughs> right? okay, we, want to, we want to explore all of those distinctions in our experience. So there, there I am. I am now, I've moved beyond, the, the pleasant feeling tone is keeping on, and then I'm starting to have thoughts. I stop. I don't keep walking down the street. I stop in front of the window. There is craving going on. I'm saying, that is such an amazing jacket. I want it. You know, I really want it. Uh, and at a certain point, again, there's a hypothetical example, and uh, we can relate to this. At a certain point, I said, you know, maybe I say to myself, there are probably just a few left. <laughs> and it's a good price. Uh-huh. And if I, if I don't get it now, it may be gone. And I'm not going to be down here near the store for a while, and I can build it up, right? I build up the craving, the wanting gets very, very strong. But I haven't yet acted, right? It's an important point. It's important to distinguish all these. And then uh, the craving is more or less to the point where I'm not thinking about anything else. I, I may have been going somewhere for some appointment, but that is gone. <laughs> I have no idea where I was going. I'm single-mindedly focused on that jacket. It's just a hypothetical example. None of us have probably ever experienced anything like this. Um, and then I'm single-mindedly focused on it, you know, I'm, uh, and then I go in and I buy it, okay? And we could call that grasping, right? I, I act, in other words. And so do you, you get the, it's a simple distinction. We could apply that distinction, contact, feeling tone, craving, and grasping, right? And so that is a very helpful teaching because that points to, ultimately, that's going to point to ways to practice with craving, right? If we're especially attentive to feeling tone and really study feeling tone, as we've sometimes done here, we can be really aware of when the feeling tone is very strong, pleasant, right? And I can explore it. Okay, what's that feel like? You know, or, or I've just had... Uh, a piece of pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving, and pleasant, really, really pleasant. And then I notice, and we can predict when we are not aware, not mindful, the pleasant experience will tend to trigger craving and then grasping. That's the teaching. When we're not aware of the process, it'll tend to happen automatically. And sometimes it can happen in a split second with certain things. Sometimes it can happen very, very quickly. So if we pra- one way to practice would be really to be attentive to feeling tone so we really notice it. Same thing is true with unpleasant feeling tone. We could, we could also notice that. You know, we've, again, we've explored that in different ways. We can also, let's suppose we get, we notice feeling tone but we still get to craving. 
we can also notice craving and really be with it and study it and possibly invite our wisdom in to intervene so craving doesn't become totally overpowering. And I can ask the radical question, is this a good idea? (laughs) And so you can see that there are intervention places with this model that will guide us in our practice. It's a very simple model. Yeah. There's a question of clarification. Yeah. It, do you, would you say that craving and grasping are significantly different, or are they the same? Yeah. Well, the, what the, what this model is saying that it's the craving is more internal. The craving is more what's in the mind. It's the thoughts, the wanting, and so forth, and the grasping is the action. Uh-huh. And so, very important distinction because there can be craving without grasping. And in fact, if we notice the craving and are mindful of it, we can, again, we can ask that question, should I act? And it becomes a place of intervention. And so very crucial distinction between what's simply in the mind and when we act. When we act. You know, and again, it can, the action can be, the, in this case, the buying. It could also be saying something. It could be reaching for the extra piece of pie. It could, there, there are many, many forms that the grasping we're using as a general category. Yeah, thank you. I think that helps clarify things some. And so, um, what we want to look at is, you know, I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at two questions. How do we study craving and what do we find? How do we study craving, greed, and grasping? And what do we find? And then, how do we practice? And I've already started to explore the nature of our practice. So there are a lot of ways that we can explore uh, craving, greed, and grasping. One is by just observing our behavior and making a list of my top five or my top ten. What are the, what are the, uh, what do I grasp? What do I grasp after? Or what do I, what are my typical areas of craving? And how do they occur? And this has to be done on a no shame basis. <laughs> if we talk with each other, I think we will ask for confidentiality <laughs> in the process. So we want to actually be very honest. We could actually, so we can do reflections and say, where are the areas where I tend to grasp? You know? Again, this is separate from saying what the causes of the grasping are. And I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a little while. Um, we can, you know, we can maybe look at this in the next week or in relationship to the holidays. Where, where, where is there craving or grasping? Uh, in what kind of situations? What tends to trigger craving or or greed or grasping? And we can we can see that we can grasp after a wide variety of things. We can obviously grasp for sense pleasures. We can grasp for particular tastes or smells, particular food. We can be grasping sexually. We can be uh, grasping for objects. We can want this thing or that thing. Um, and we can actually be caught in, in very addictive patterns, as we know. And often, the, often addiction is used as a synonym sometimes for tanha or for this quality of thirst. You know, it has another one of the connotations in the original language is that there's a kind of a fever. In other words, one is not in one's totally right mind. 
right, at those moments. And so part of the exploration is, as I was saying, seeing what's the distinction between a kind of wanting her desire which doesn't have that compulsive quality. Because we're, we're wanting all the time, right? If I feel, you know, like right now, if I feel a little bit stiff in my back, I might shift like that. Is that craving? I think that could be quite ordinary. I mean, we have to look, but we want to explore this and really see what's there. What's the nature of that ordinary wanting? I'm thirsty. I want to drink. Is that craving, even though thirst is a metaphor for that? I think that what's being pointed to in terms of craving has these compulsive, the compulsive aspect, or the, the aspect that it, it dominates. And this is what we, this is what we found, um, as I've sometimes mentioned, when we, when we studied greed in the greed management class. You know, we found that when greed was present, when we studied greed, it became almost single-minded, much like that example of the jacket. That greed was almost single-minded that we almost, it was like we couldn't get out of. We couldn't get out of it very easily. It was single-minded. There was very little wisdom involved. Uh, there was no sense of consequences very often. You know, I would, I would simply want this, and a lot, of, a lot of aspects of that craving or greed, we essentially lose our wisdom. We lose our wisdom and we simply want something and we're driven compulsively to action. And so one of the qualities of that craving is that there isn't the aspect of wisdom there. There's, and concretely, there's not a sense of consequences often. Right? At the time of really loving those second or third pieces of pumpkin pie, how often are we thinking how I'll feel in one hour? Maybe some of you reflect, oh, how will I feel in one hour? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't very often. I mean, there's a, maybe the th- third piece, yes. <laughs> yeah. But there's, we can, this is, this is an inquiry. So all of this, like gener- looking at generosity and gratitude, the key is just really be interested and inquire what's there. And it can be fascinating. Um, one practice that um, my first teacher, Joseph Goldstein, gave me, he said, when you notice suffering, try to see whether there's grasping. Because according to the teaching, where there's that reactivity, there's always going to be grasping. And so his teaching was, if you notice suffering, look around and study what's going on. Is there some kind of grasping? If I'm sitting in meditation and I'm uh, not liking how my knee feels, and I'm really resisting, is there grasping there? Something to look at. So what's being encouraged is actually to have a lot of interest in this. It's fascinating, right? And this is really the spirit of our practice, is to have a lot of interest and explore your own experience as if you're looking at it for the first time. As if you're an alien from another planet who's been given the opportunity to be inside a human consciousness. Say, oh, look at that. Wow, look at that. Oh, there's sometimes craving. Oh, what's it like? I better do a report for back home. <laughs> right? So that's, that's the spirit. So we can have, um, you know, we want to look at when there's craving. Do I crave, for example, when something isn't going well? Many people use food in that way, right? When, some, when something is not going well, do I crave for something to sort of feel better 
or to have a pleasant feeling, really to look what tends to trigger the craving. Again, what tends to trigger the greed. As I was saying from our experience, we found there was often inattentiveness to consequences, and often, typically, when greed was really there, other people didn't matter. Other people's needs did not matter. When I really am caught in greed. And again, that makes a difference in some situations and not in others. You know, you know it might, might, the situation with my jacket, it might make a difference if we don't have the budget, right, to get the jacket. And I really have to get that jacket. It might make a difference. It might not in terms of others. But I'm not probably asking that question if I'm really consumed by greed. Sort of an obliviousness to consequences and other people. You know. um, yeah. Can grasping the emotional like my difficulty in, in letting go of my uh, adult daughter? Yeah. Or is that something else? Yeah, so can grasping be uh, uh, driven emotionally? Uh, completely, yeah. Yeah, you know, it could be, you know, whether it's driven emotionally, I'm feeling distress about something and I want to eat, right? Very common form. Or I'm, I don't want to face certain feelings, so I hang on to this person. I'm not saying that's the case, but it might be, right? I don't want to face certain feelings, and so I hang on. Or I don't want to, you know, I, I hang on to this relationship, even though I know it's not a good one, because I don't want to encounter loneliness. Or what I imagine in my mind. So we're getting into, you know, more uh, kind of complicated forms of grasping, more relational. The, most of the examples I gave were just one person with different kinds of sense experiences. But yeah, so it's it's great. It's a great segue. So we can have we can have that kind of grasping in relationship to other people, to a job, to security, to meaning, to all sorts of things. Uh, we can um, you know, grasp on to the future. We can grasp on to, you know, we can, you know, I, I came from a family where there was a lot of planning. And I would say that we use planning to kind of grasp on to security, to grasp. And, and part of my learning initially when I was meditating was how much I planned. You know, and just was planning all the, when I first meditated, I would just sit there in, out, and then go into planning. And I sometimes joke how in our family, and it's not so much the case lately, but in our family when the siblings get, got together with parents, usually before even asking people how you're doing, we, we would make a plan for when we were going to get together next. <laughs> True confession. Uh, I guess it's going out on the internet, so it's not confidential. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we want to really want to look at where that appears. It can be hanging on to a job, hanging on to meaning, grasping on to a relationship, grasping on to something that basically the idea here is that there's something compulsive. It can be driven, right? And one of the interesting things, and probably we'll talk a little bit more next time, that grasping can be very socially conditioned. You know, can be very socially conditioned uh, in all sorts of ways, right? I can grasp onto uh, what I, I can grasp onto things because I think I want to keep up with the Joneses. Or I want to grasp because I find meaning in buying things, right? Of course, that's our particular culture, right? Or I, 
uh, I want to, I really need to have that electronic good because of advertising, right? You know, they've done studies. If I have a, if I have a certain amount of advertising, the quality of craving will, will certainly get higher, right? So advertising, social conditioning, uh, even the food we eat. One of my students, we were talking yesterday, and she, was, she does classes on mindfulness and nutrition, and she was saying that actually even, of course, you eat certain foods, and they will stimulate craving. And you eat other foods, and they won't, right? And she said, so it's actually, it actually is, is it, it maybe even not very clearly a case of uh, free will. She said that it's actually our bacteria speaking. <laughs> Have you heard those studies? Interesting. She said, you know, it's like, you know, 90 or 95 percent of us is like bacteria. And, and, we, and some, some nutritionists these days are talking about good bacteria and bad bacteria. And the bad bacteria, like, often are connected with craving. And the good bacteria, like food, like you know, yogurt and sauerkraut, that has a lot of sort of fermented material. And so and I don't think the Buddha reckoned in with good and bad bacteria and their relation to craving. But we were, she was saying, in working with people, it's actually you eat certain foods, you have a certain bacteria, and it will some will stimulate craving way more than others, right? And people talk about sugar a lot in that way. You eat a certain amount of sugar, and there'll be much more craving. It'll be almost physiologically based, right? So there's a lot of complexity. There's social conditioning. There's the physiological dimension, you know, and there's most basically, from a spiritual perspective, it's probably our sense of finding satisfaction in something external is at the, you know, that would be the spiritual ignorance at the root of grasping, that I can really find happiness in that jacket or that relationship or this that I hang on to, right? And so that's, we want to look at that also because ultimately the looking has to be connected with that really the, the process of awakening and the, the core teaching is that freedom is inherent in our nature, is our birthright and that we actually don't need anything other than what we already have to be most deeply happy and that the happiness of objects or even relationships is a kind of secondary happiness. It can be very important, you know, to have obviously enough to eat and so forth and be connected and so forth, but the deepest happiness is an internal freedom. Or as Sylvia likes to say, happiness is an inside job. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. So how to practice? Let me finish by, I've already mentioned a few ways to practice with all of this. So let me give a few other ways to uh, practice. You can do a practice like at, if you're noticing suffering, you can ask, where's the grasping? Right? And really use that moment of noticing yourself stuck or suffering as a starting point for inquiry. Wonderful way to practice. You can uh, work with the intention each morning uh, to, I will really try to investigate and inquire into craving, greed, and grasping when they appear. So some of what we're doing is actually just being mindful and studying, and some of what we're doing is actually intervening in the process. And we can think of both ways to practice. There's something very valuable in just really studying how our experience unfolds, knowing what are my five major 
ways that I that there's greed or grasping or craving, really to know that. Um, we could, if we wanted to, be really sensitive to feeling tone. Notice when something's extremely pleasant and be on the lookout for that. Because again, predictably, if we're not paying attention, that will lead quickly to grasping. That's the, that's the teaching. When, gre- when greed or craving arise, we can say, time for mindfulness. Of course, we can do that in our, in our formal meditation session. And if that's occurring, or you might even do it, you know, just, and again, I think the suggestion is to start with less uh, charged aspects of greed and craving. Don't go to your most difficult ones first. You know, don't go to your 10 on a scale of 10. Go to just look at, look at craving, maybe just sit for a moment, look at the craving right before you start a meal and the wanting to have those good tastes, right? Very simple, relatively harmless, but really study that. Study, study the craving for the traffic light to, to turn or for the car ahead of you to start moving, right? There's, there's a kind of a craving there, isn't there? So look at the small stuff, in other words. Study it. See what's there. You know, notice, notice what's going on. Um, When, you know, if you notice yourself really caught by some kind of craving or greed, if you can, say, time out from action, let's really notice it. You know, just stop in the middle of your day and study it. Okay? Ready to do that? <laughs> and again, and, and you might, it can be sometimes, it can sometimes work to, in the meditation actually to call up a subject for which there's greed and call up in your mind and then watch what occurs. What, watch what the thoughts are, watch what the emotions are following your question, watch what it feels like in the body. Really study this. You know? You know, again, you can, you can do some experiments. I mentioned that we did that uh, final exam for the greed management class was to do 30 minutes silent walking meditation in Bed Bath & Beyond. You can t- put yourself in situations where there might be greed and study what that's like or go to a situation like that. You know, and I, I found myself uh, walking and I had never been in that store before and uh, I had no idea that th- such a range of products existed. <laughs> there were needs that they were trying to meet that I had no <coughs> idea existed. <laughs> right? Right? No, we were doing, we were committed just to silent practice at that particular moment. I could come back the next day to Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> but no, we were committed just to internal practice. So you might do that. Go to a store and do silent walking meditation, right? I mean, be creative. And this is, I'm being humorous, but this is for the sake of greater freedom, right? This is a, this is a serious, humorous undertaking. So, um, you can also work uh, more with the wisdom aspect related to grasping. So you might at times simply stop and reflect, is this wise? Do I really want to do this? Right? That's a good question to ask. Really call forth the wisdom aspect. Traditionally, one would, it would be very skillful to invoke impermanence, to know that pleasures are fleeting, to really sometimes when sometimes when a craving comes up, make a commitment to just stay with it 
and not act on it and watch it and watch the craving begin, get stronger, and then as you stay with it, it will decline. That is very interesting, right? To notice craving as something impermanent that arises and passes. Usually, we don't take it as acceptable to do anything other than to act. But with our, with our mindfulness, we can actually be with craving and watch it move away, especially if you know that it's not wise. This takes a certain amount of wisdom, a certain amount of patience, right? Um, and of course, we can, uh, another thing to do, even on a more microscopic level, and this is getting towards what I wanted to explore next time, is that we can, in our meditations, notice when there's even the slightest grasping. Because there, there are larger cases of grasping, but there are also very small ways that we grasp after this mind state, after this way my body should feel, right? We can really study that. Notice basically any time that we sort of fix on something as the way things have to be. Notice any fixation in experience. When you're meditating, when your mind's quiet, you can notice that and notice how even with a very quiet, fairly contented mind, there can be very small forms of grasping. Study those. Sometimes what I've done on retreats, when my mind's been very quiet and very peaceful, I basically just sit back, stay with a kind of large, expansive awareness, and just track any fixation, any tendency to grasp, which sometimes is very small, sometimes happens in a second or less, but just to track that. When you're quiet, you can notice that. That's part of this inquiry. You know, you can also, again, maybe to conclude, you can also develop positive qualities. You can, along with this inquiry, you can say, I will develop generosity. I will develop gratitude. I will develop uh, mindfulness. Uh, Something very interesting also is to spend time, especially in something like meditation or could be in nature, just being with your awareness and being with the flow of experience in a very open way, again, and noticing where there's any tendency to want something else or to grasp after something. You know, there's that tendency, oh, pretty sunset, we instantly think of the photograph, right? Photographs are fine. But we can look at that, you know, you know, uh, can I just, for a particular time, can I just be with the flow of experience? Do it for three minutes at a time. Be with the flow of experience for three minutes and notice if there's any tendency to fixation. So that is my, that is my own exploration of... Uh, of craving, greed, and grasping, which doesn't sound like a great topic, but it actually, but you can, I mean, when the way I say it, you know, who would be interested in that? But it actually is fascinating, isn't it? And it's obviously crucial. And my hope is to uh, energize you and inspire you to uh, uh, take this on for the next week. And then my intention next week is to come back and take us yet further, to both check in on what we found and, you know, and talk about some of what has come up for us as we've explored, and then take, it, take us a little more deeply in, in a few ways, looking particularly at some of the deeper roots of um, uh, craving, greed, and grasping. And maybe I'll bring in some more material on bacteria. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. 
And so we have, uh, have about 10 minutes or so for any questions or observations, reflections. I'm still confused. Is it? Okay. About uh, when you say where there's suffering, there's grasping. Yeah. And if grasping is action, then, um, then I'm still confused because I find that my, 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 my chief, <laughs> the chief character of suffering for me is wanting things to be different from the yeah. way they are. Yeah. And, but there isn't action involved. Yeah. That I I would I would rather not have this shoulder pain. Yeah. But there isn't action. Yeah. So that seems like craving to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so so I think that's a helpful question and really um, it really points to how uh, I think we could say that grasping can occur also in the mind. You know, that that it's it's not I think I think I think I was not fully clear on that. You know that the we, it doesn't have to be the grasping. We we can grasp in our minds. You know, like I I think a lot of the examples came out. I grasp after this job. Well, that will may issue in certain things I say or do, but the grasping is more internal. So I think I think I really should have said that uh, the grasping can be both in, internal and will manifest in actions. Right. So that, I think that clears it up. So, yeah, I can, it'd be like, uh, because the, in a way, we could say that there are two, you know, the, what it, what it is, is that, uh, yeah, the, I can, uh, I can really want something, and then the grasping is a kind, maybe it's, it can be a kind of internal action, maybe, maybe we could say, like, like, uh, um, I'm sitting in meditation, I have some unpleasant sensations in my shoulder, I know that they're going to go away when I get up, and I uh, don't like that, I'm kind of grasping after that not being there, I have resistance to the present moment. And my action, you know, if we want to talk about internal action, it's that I'm, I'm uh, pushing away that present experience. There's a kind of internal pushing away of that experience. So, uh, so I think I think what you said helps me clarify that point. That that the uh, the grasping clearly can be something that we do with our minds, with our emotions, as well as uh, externally. Yeah. And so then, what's the difference between craving and grasping? You might you might add, right? <laughs> I might. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Um, I think what what I mean what would you say I, if I would take that example it's it's um there there's it probably is something like I could be in a state of not wanting I don't like this you know and then I'm back to the breath when I'm when I'm really the difference between craving uh and grasping in this case I'm it's actually something unpleasant so it doesn't the example doesn't line up so well but uh, exactly, but I would say that I would be having thoughts, I don't like this, and at a certain point they would kind of lock in to, I want to get rid of this. That's it, right? It's not like a passing thought that, that, it, that I'm mindful of. Oh, there's another thought, I don't like this, right? 
it's more, it's not I like this, it's, okay, it's time for this guest to go, <laughs> and something like that. So there's a, there's a qualitative difference, and maybe if we, you know, we, you know, we, we could see that, um, you know, we could see that maybe in the example of the jacket, right, where there's the wanting, and then maybe in that example, I actually grasp on and I say, I'm going to get it, right? And I make an internal decision, and I may not have acted at that point, but there's something, there's been a shift from the wanting to the grasping. Yeah. So thank you. Um, Is there time for one more? Yeah, yeah, a few yeah. more. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, can the feeling of pleasant or unpleasant be experienced without um, going to craving? Yeah, great question. Can the, can the sense of pleasant or unpleasant be experienced without going to craving? What's your response? Yeah. 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 Can you give an example? Anyone? I like the sunset. <laughs> yeah, we can be with, I can be with the sunset. And what would, um, what would craving look like if I was with the sunset? But let, let's say, well, what, first, what would, if I'm just with the sunset, <clears throat> it's pleasant, it's beautiful. I notice that, I maybe have some emotions. And what would, what would craving look like in terms of what's happening with my thoughts? Yeah. I don't want it to stop. Yeah. yeah, that would be almost be go to grasping, but I might, I might have the craving, yeah, I love this so much, or, or I, I want this to continue, or don't go so fast, son. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, or I want to grasp onto it by taking a picture. Again, in itself, not necessarily negative, but yeah, so we see, so does that get added or with something like food? We can, it's very interesting, you know, uh, one of the things that I first really did in, in depth at retreats was to be able to really slow down with food and be with pleasant tastes for, you know, with a lot of uh, time, like to ta- take, you know, I don't know, five minutes to eat an apple or ten minutes or you know, a long time with something that really tasted good, and it's really to be with the pleasant and, and just watch it. So that's another way to practice, right? Just very simple. Be with the pleasant. It's a great, it's a great addition in a way. Be with the pleasant and notice when it starts to go to craving. Food's a very, uh, very good example for most of us. Please, yeah. I'm thinking a lot about intensity being yeah. one of the factors. Yeah. And in, and at first I thought, well, if it's really intense, then you, then you have to do it because you can't bear the intensity. Yeah. Um, and I guess it could be of something pleasant as well. In some ways, if it's really intense, if you could tolerate the intensity, as it yeah. tastes. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to plan baking the pie, you know, and having it go forever. Yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, the intensity seems to matter. So again, another another area to look into, when things are very intense, whether let's say body sensations, pleasant or unpleasant, we'd have to be pretty mindful to really just stay with it, right? And re- and really be with it. And I could, you know, often when we have very my experience is often when I have very pleasant uh, taste sensations. It might be the trigger to go get the next bite or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or it might, it might be, uh, which is a kind of uh, craving and grasping. And actually just to be with uh, something very intense 
is, is uh, you know, we'd have to really uh, make the choice often. I was mostly at first thinking it was just you want to push away negative yeah. feelings, and the more intense they are, the more you want to push them away, a pain or an uh, uncomfortable feeling. But I actually realize it can be equally true of intense pleasure. Yeah, intense, intense pleasure sexually. Um, you know, when, I, when I've looked into that particularly meditatively, but I think also in other areas, at high levels of intensity, often pleasure and pain tend to merge. You can look into that. That's what, I, that's what I've experienced. Uh, that, uh, because to stay with it often has a level of, for, for example, a level of concentration. Concentration with anything starts to be pleasant. You know, I, I've sometimes hung out with very unpleasant sensations in the body where they were so intense and the concentration got so strong that it actually started turning into pleasure. And that was very interesting, you know. So I think at high levels of intensity, it's not always clear because intensity sometimes is hard, right? And again, I think maybe can can look into that in terms of sexuality. I think that's I think that's often the case. That the, you know, is it pleasant, unpleasant? It's very intense, right? And, and those categories don't always hold so much anymore. And that I found that fascinating to see that way in which at high levels of intensity. Uh, pleasure, pleasure and pain may tend to merge. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? People find that making sense? Yeah. Okay, last one. Okay. Microphone. Um, I continually find the teachings to be, or the explanations to be so simple, yeah. and yet um, it's almost like I feel like there's, we don't have the correct words, like there, there aren't, the, yeah. it's as you were saying, you know, sort of like in Pali there's, you know, words that we have that are, have m more direct meaning for, I think it was for grasping or... Um, um, you are know, saying there's a word, there's a more neutral word, chanda, right. which can be used for something positive, like aspiration, sometimes translated, or like I want to develop these qualities, right? And I feel like I, I so that's always the challenge for me when I hear teachings is to yeah. hear it makes so much sense, and then I realize well so, something like um, when that. Um, woman was talking about the shoulder issue and, yeah. and also the fact that, well, yes, if I do have a pain, or at least in my belief, if I do have a pain and I am meditating and I have a way of transitioning my body in a way to be out of pain, my choice is to do that and I don't consider that to be um, craving not pain. I don't need to put my body into that pain if there is a way I can transition into something else. Mm -hmm. And so that's it's always sort of playing the line between what is craving and what is sort of wise transitioning for the health of myself or whatever. I mean, right. there's, it, there's such subtleties there that are, that that's the complexity of the yeah. teaching is that it's, it's always yeah. so, I so appreciate that I, I wouldn't understand it if you didn't describe it in simple ways. And yet yeah. when I listen to it, I always think, wait, there's all the subtleties there that I have to, that I, that's, my homework to go home yeah. and work on yeah. because it really is much more complex than than Christ is presented. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like I like what you said, and you know, I, my uh, my own 
uh, thinking went in two directions with that, uh, uh, maybe three. <laughs> but one of them is just really to emphasize the quality of inquiry and investigation. It's really look into it. You know, this is um, not about this is not so much about the concepts we're using, but it's really about looking into what's in our experience, number one. And then number two, that being said, um, we don't have good concepts, and we don't have good translations, and they're clunky. And they, they, uh, the English words we use, we try to not put too much stock in the actual English words or the Korean words, you know, because they're, they, they often have connotations that actually don't work that well. A lot of people translate craving with desire, which gets very confusing, right? gets very confusing for people. So I think it's more what, what we're pointing to with craving is, is um, something like a compulsive or driven quality. That's what we're looking at. And, and I, I don't find any of the words too adequate. Craving sometimes has something of that connotation of being driven or compulsive. Uh, wanting does not. Desire does not. Uh, grasping tends to suggest that. But again, uh, we want to really look for what's there. And what, what does that compulsive quality feel like from the inside? You know, what does it feel like? Because that's what we have to explore. In this situation, you know, with this experience, food or something that, you know, some part of my life, is there something compulsive or am I simply making a skillful, wise choice? And so that's really the third point I want to make is that I think the, uh, using the reference point of wisdom is always going to be crucial. What is wise? What is wise right now? I'm sitting with unpleasant sensations in my body. Is it wise to stay with them? And we can know that in a lot of situations it can be very wise even though it's uncomfortable. And the guideline I use, and many teachers use, is that we know that it's not causing damage to the body. Right? But, but I have found it incredibly valuable to be with physical discomfort and hang out with it for a long time. There are things I learned there that were crucial, really, just about a lot of the issues we're talking about. And it's obviously the case also with uh, emotional discomfort, right? Can I stay with it? Again, and the guideline is that I use is, is it causing damage? And related to that, can I stay in a balanced way with this? Can I stay in a balanced, mindful way with what's happening? If there's some emotions in which we're totally lost in, let's say, self-judgment and anger and there's not much mindfulness, that's not wise to stay with, right? That's better to pull out of that. But if we can stay balanced with it, we can learn tremendous amounts. And so a lot of this is going to be the inquiry that helps us be wiser about that. And in a way, we have to probably err on both sides of the boundary, probably, you know, in our, in our exploration. So, so, yeah, so the wisdom is going to be, is really always what we're wanting to come from. But there can be this very, uh, you know, to hang out with craving, with the unpleasant. There can be tremendous learning, and our conditioning is to not do that. We have to know that also. Our cultural, social conditioning is to not be very patient with the unpleasant. Yeah. It is very strong 
very strong cultural social conditioning. I've known that from being, you know, living for times in other cultures. It's very, very strong here. You know, we, for, from, not for all of us, but it's kind of a, in many ways, a culture of comfort, right? You know, you know with all the drug, you know, the medical drugs and all this, you know, not feeling well, okay, take a drug, you know, don't permit, you know, don't permit anything to last for very long, right? And there's some, there's some problems there. Okay, so how many would like to look at this in the next week in your own way? Okay. Okay, I think we have, um, you, you can look at it even if you're not here next week. <laughs> and so do that, take notes, if you wish, or whatever your learning process is, and we'll come back next week, and I'll have further stories about the jury, which I didn't bring in very much, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then we'll, uh, we'll compare notes, and I'll bring in some further exploration of some of the deeper roots of of craving, greed, and grasping, and bringing some other material that I didn't bring in uh, today. So let's uh, set, it, set your intention just for a moment for what you'll do in the next week. And then we close by remembering that we practice both for ourselves and for others. And may the fruits of our time together and the fruits of our practice be offered out into the world as well for the benefit of all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.